Baby mamas, no drama. <laughs> um, we are so excited to have a guest today. I found Annie on TikTok a while back, and she has a really incredible story. And so I texted V, and I was like, we need her on. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we hope that you love her story, and definitely check her out on TikTok and Instagram, and I'll let her share all of that. So we are going to go ahead and get her in here so that we can we can talk to her. Okay, here we go. Um, we just did a little intro and I was saying how I found you on TikTok and I texted V and I was like, we have to get Annie on before we go any further. Is it Annie or Annie? I go by Annie. 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 Okay. okay. Um, so for those who don't know you, do you want to just kind of talk about like how we found each other and like what you're, what you've been doing on TikTok? Yeah, so I probably just, I don't even know how you found me, but <laughs> <laughs> you did somehow. Um, I blew up on TikTok maybe four or five months ago. I was just, I don't even know how to use TikTok, but I just made a small video regarding uh, my deportation story um, that happened about four years ago, and it just picked up traction really quickly, and people started asking questions, and I just kept sharing and sharing and sharing, and uh, here we are almost five, six months later, and I have this huge platform um, that I've been using for just awareness to begin with, to share our story, how we were affected by, um, you know, immigration, uh, my deportation story, the children, the separation of the families, an international custody battle, um, baby daddy drama, <laughs> baby mama drama. Yeah. Um, and then currently, uh, we just started school out here. So we started a program where we're trying to get, uh, well, we're not trying, we're getting supplies sent in from the states um, for the schools down here. Um, and that picked up just maybe last week. And I really just stumbled across it. Everything that's happened on TikTok, I just stumble across it. I went to enroll my kids in school and they didn't have an English teacher. So I said, I'll be your English teacher. <laughs> so I'm teaching junior high. And um, there's a lot of opportunities in the school for investment. It just, the kids need a lot of TLC. Um, just trying to make it homey for my kids, especially because they're used to going to school in the States. This is our first year here. And um, it was kind of a culture shock for all of us um, because the schools are so different from how they're set up, how they're ran the classrooms, the materials, the uniforms. So I'm trying to give it a little bit of the American culture, so to speak. So it's a little more homey for the kids and help them transition and also share our culture with, you know, the other students that may have been locally raised. Um, so we're just like meshing, <laughs> meshing yeah. our lives with, you know, the local kids here. Um, we've met, I've met a lot of students so far that have families in the U.S., parents that are working in the U.S. and sending money down to pay for their tuition, um, to pay for their materials. So, I mean, that's just kind of a brief rundown of what we're doing or what I'm doing on TikTok. Um, there's so many components to the story. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, so yeah. feel free to- I was going to say, maybe, uh, maybe start with that one TikTok that you said that really caught everyone's attention. Bef- and- yeah. Before you do that, though, the one that I came across on my For You page was it was a video of, I guess someone commented to you something about like having five children and like, why would you do that? And um, that was the one that came up on my for you page. And I, I didn't scroll past it. I watched it. And and you were saying 
in the video, you talked about being deported. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on, let me go back. (laughs) And I started scrolling and there was so much to your story that I never even got all the way down to the first video of you talking the, whatever one, whatever video made you go viral. I never got to that one. Me so if you could, <laughs> I was so it's actually pinned at the top of my TikTok. It's the okay. conversation stories at the very top. Um, okay. Because I know it's so messy. Like I've, I've gone into so many different topics that a lot of people are like, so what happened? How'd you get deported? Why are you in Mexico? So I pinned that one to the top to give a little bit of, you know, organization. Um, because I get a lot of questions like, you know, why are you even there? Are you even Mexican? Like so many random, because people just don't know are just picking up or starting the story from a video kind of like your, the one right. that you mentioned, the, the story time on how I ended up as a single mother of five kids. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. Okay. So Let's start from the beginning. Were you, you were, you're born in Mexico or you're born in the States? I was born in Mexico and my parents took us to the States when I was about four or five and I spent my entire life in the States. And at the age of 28, I was deported back to Mexico. Um, So this was four years ago and I've been living here ever since. So why did they deport you? If you don't mind me asking. I don't mind. I've actually shared in detail. Um, So I was deported because I committed crimes of moral turpitude. And under the Trump administration, I became a deportation priority. So my mother um, obtained uh, residency for us through marriage to my stepdad, who was an American citizen. And I got my green card when I was barely 18. Um, And I didn't really understand the difference between me and somebody born in the U.S. Like to me, the U.S. was home. So I was very oblivious. I didn't know the struggle. My mom got our papers. I didn't know what life was like being undocumented. I was always able to work legally. Um, So I committed several white collar crimes. And to sum it up, I was stealing funds from my employers, caught up to me um, within a few years. And at the time, I was in a really ugly custody battle. And the father of my kids and his family reported me to ICE. Um, I was picked up by ICE when my youngest baby was about six months old. I was arrested. And because my crimes were uh, second degree felonies, I was categorized as an aggravated felon, which groups you in under immigration law with the murderers, the rapists, the worst of the worst. So you are not eligible for bond. So I was told if you have any sorts of immigration relief, which I did, uh, they said you can fight your case, but you will be held for the duration of your case, which can, can take years. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, I had a nursing baby. I had five kids that I was the custodial parent for. So in my desperation, I said, I don't want to fight anymore. I'll sign. I signed my deportation order. And um, like nine days later, I was put on a plane back to Mexico without my kids. Um, it was a really long journey to get them back to me because then we had to go through the... Um, civil courts for custody and, you know, their dads were living in the U.S. It was really, really messy. Um, but the main, um, to answer your question, my deportation was due to crimes. I, I did have legal status, but um, I became deportable. And unfortunately, at the time of my crimes, I didn't realize the importance or how it could tie into my immigration status. My mom constantly told me, you need to file for citizenship. And it was like $600 to file. So I just always put it off. And I thought, I don't need to do that. I, I can work legally. I mean, I'm not, I can travel. I have, you know, I didn't understand the importance until it was too late, until I had already, you know, made mistakes. And um, I was on a plane back to Mexico. <laughs> so 
So what was that? So my first question is, did you have to serve time for your crimes before being deported to Mexico? So I went through uh, litigation for my criminal cases before my deportation, and it was about nine months. I hired two attorneys. Uh, By the grace of God, I did. I served one day in jail. Um, So I was charged with about 11 second degree felonies. I took a plea deal. And part of the plea deal um, was, you know, several classes, restitution, and um, credit for the time served, which was just one day. And so I got really lucky. I didn't do any prison time. And with the exception of once I was picked up by ICE, I did about a week um, in ICE detention. And other than that, um, no lengthy prison sentence for me. So were the where were the kids at this time? Or was your mom still in the U.S. or with family? Or were they with family? Were they with their dads? Where were the kids? When I was arrested by ICE, my family took custody of my kids. Um, so I have two baby dads. My first, uh, my older three children are with my ex-husband, and my younger two are with another person by the name of Walter. Um, and when I was picked up by ICE, my family took them immediately, and we started, and we were already in the middle of custody proceedings, and my mom filed an emergency petition to be granted custody of my youngest two babies, and she already had guardianship of my older three because I had granted it to her through the course of my criminal proceedings in case I went to prison. So when I was picked up by ICE, they were turned over to my mom um, temporarily while we figured out everything else. Okay. And then once you get to Mexico, what was that journey like trying to get your kids back? And is your mom with you in Mexico now or is she still in the United States? My entire family lives in the United States. So it's just me here. Um, Getting the kids to Mexico was probably the hardest part of my journey because what was was that decision like though because obviously you want to have all of your kids with you but they don't know anything else besides besides the United United States States, right and I didn't either yeah so coming into Mexico I viewed it I had lived in a bubble in the U.S. in a very comfy bubble and when I looked at Mexico I felt like I was being thrown into a dark hole with cartel and drugs and crime and kidnapping and everything you see in the media so initially I had no idea if whether I was going to bring my kids with or what I was going to do. Um, when I touched ground, I mean, I had nothing. I had a little 40 pound backpack and uh, 40 bucks. And my mom helped me arrange plane tickets and get me to Puerto Vallarta. Um, initially, my older three, I had planned to leave them with my mom. And eventually their dad was going to take custody of them. But he had a lot of stuff to take care of on his own, like legal stuff, warrants, that type of shit. So I said, you know, we're going to leave him with my mom. Once you get your stuff together, then we can transition them because I felt like ripping them from everything they knew was going to be traumatic. Right. They were school age. They had friends. Everything was up there for them. However, the younger two, they were babies. Um, My son was two and my baby girl was eight, nine months. So they, in my mind, I was always on a mission to bring them with me. I said, sure. I don't care if we live under a bridge. These babies need to be with mom. Yeah, right. Um, and that process was probably the most painful, traumatic, long, expensive, and ridiculous. At the time of my deportation, I had custody of the two youngest babies. Um, their dad was out of the picture. I was actually picked up at a hearing to terminate his parental rights because he was just not interested. And is he still when I, interested to this so, day? Like, did he never show interest? He has no rights to that. He will get into that. He currently okay. has no rights, but it's let's uh, let me work up to that. So 
when I was getting deported, I was picked up at a hearing to terminate his rights because they called ICE and said, hey, come get her. She's deportable. So they picked me up and um, the babies were turned over to my mom. So when I touched down, when I signed my deportation order at the time, I thought my baby is nursing. He's on the picture. There's no way a judge is not going to grant me for them to come. You know, so I thought I'll fly to Mexico. We'll maybe take a couple weeks to reconvene and my mom will bring down the babies. And that's actually what I said to me. They said, you know, if you sign this order, you could be with your kids next week. So I said, okay, that makes sense. Once I got to Mexico, um, I was completely screwed. Well, because the, the passports would need your permission and the dad's permission, right? And then that's also. So I had already had. I had all their paperwork in line because I knew this was a possibility. So when I was going through my criminal proceedings, I was aware that deportation could eventually happen, that I would have to answer to the immigration courts at that point. So I had prepared all my paperwork, my babies, they had passports, they had dual citizenship. We were kind of ready for this. We just didn't think it was going to happen as quickly as it did. Um, But once I got to Mexico, their dad filed an emergency petition, a restraining order to assert his parental rights. And he had not seen them at the time. He was under a court order for supervised visits due to drug use. Mm -hmm. He hadn't seen them. He didn't even know the baby since she was born. I mean, completely MIA. So when that petition got filed and the judge halted them from coming to me, they they put a restraining order on them leaving the state of Utah. I was out of my mind in Mexico. I thought, what the fuck? This baby is nursing. Like, this is the reason why I signed this order so I can get back to her. Um, the judge was very, I think they had the same view that I had that Mexico is unsafe. We don't know what's over there. We don't know how you're going to, you know, if you can provide for these kids. Um, so for now we're going to hold them here until we figure out what is best for them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's with you, you know? So for me, that was a very, uh, it it broke my soul, you know, to have the courts question whether I was the best thing for them because of my location, you know? The court was aware of all my convictions. They were aware of my proceedings, you know, all of that. And that was not a reason for them to take them from me. You know, they still, these were financial crimes um, that didn't, I don't want to say didn't interfere with my motherhood because obviously I went to jail and, you know, I wasn't going about things the right way. But it didn't impact. Right. So they weren't crimes that, (laughs) right. Like it, it, it wasn't endangering, you know, the welfare of my children. So when they said to me, you know, we can't send them to you. I was like, what the fuck? So then I thought, okay, well, we can't bring them permanently, but I want to see them. I want to see my kids through the the proceedings because we had to go to trial and that can take months, years. Right. And they said, no, they said, no, the kids cannot leave the state of Utah uh, because we're afraid they won't return. The dad at that point was saying, you know, she's going to take off with them. It's not safe. Uh, They were filing exhibits of people getting hung on bridges out here. I mean, it was messy. So the court decided no visits, no parent time until we went to trial. And that was probably the hardest part of this whole transition was being denied access to my kids, uh, feeling helpless from a whole nother country. Uh, There was times I considered returning illegally just to kidnap my own kids (laughs) because I was desperate. And to even fight for this, I had to pay an American lawyer. I couldn't self-represent because I couldn't appear to court. So we were paying $200. I mean, if you've, if you've gone through a custody case, you know how expensive lawyers are. Yes. For someone 80 grand for mine. (laughs) Yeah. For someone living in Mexico, that's unaffordable. 
Right. There's, it's impossible. Uh, I was able to with the help of my family, but if I didn't have that, I, I would not have my kids today. And there's so many of us here that because of that factor, the border divides us. We can't, we can't petition for our kids. So there's tons of parents out here that have kids in the States and they have no access to them because the other parent says, I don't feel like sending them to you or I just, you know, and it, it was, you can do about it because uh, you can't afford it. Right. Yeah. If you can't afford the lawyer, then that's too bad. You don't get to see your kids. So for me, that was such a, like, this is a broken part of our system. You know, if I couldn't afford this lawyer, I would never see my kids again if it was up to the system or their dad or whoever is in control of them. Now, my family was always supportive and um, they wanted to reunite us, but they were bound by that um, court order that if they would have brought them to me, they would have been in contempt. They could have gone to jail. It could have been kidnapping. I mean, it was messy, messy, messy. Um, So that was probably the most traumatic part was the inability to see my kids, to hold them. Um, to see them grow up through a screen. My baby, I watched her take her first steps through video, uh, crawl. I, I, I feel like she forgot me. Uh, by the time we reunited, there's a video on my TikTok um, of when I was able to see them again. It took me like nine months for the first visit. And she didn't uh, come to me. She wasn't like, yeah, she smiled, but she was hesitant. She didn't know who I was. Right. Um, and to me, that was heartbreaking, mm-hmm. completely heartbreaking to have my baby not know me. Um, but that moment of, of finding like rejoining with my kids was probably the most, it's part of what changed me, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. And I had developed, you know, this path of crime, so to speak, you know, I was, I think if I was still in the States, I would probably be doing that type of shit. And the things that hurt me so much like being separated from my kids and all this trauma is what made me take a different course because it was a wake-up call that I had done this right. I had put my family in this position to be ripped apart yeah. and for my baby to be ripped from me and I mean I don't wish it upon anybody but it right. sometimes it takes those types of things to really mold us into right. a better version of ourselves Okay, we're going to take a really quick break because we want to talk about something that we have fallen in love with over the last several months. Um, Sometimes you just need some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people or before we podcast. Or even working out. I know working out is a good one. I definitely need that in my life. Whenever I work out, I have my gym playlist. And what else I need? I need some good headphones so that I can get me pumped up and then I can do my workout. So Raycons are the best way to listen. And they come in a bunch of gel tips for your comfort. And unlike some other brands, they actually don't stick out of your ears. Yeah, Raycons also have 32-hour battery life. So you can listen to what you want when you want for a really long time. And they start at half price of other premium audio brands that sound just as good. Um, and they come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Um, we also gifted some to the kids for their iPads and tablets. So if you are not in the market for headphones, but your kids are, definitely check these out. Yes, they're a great pair. And once you give them a try, you'll see exactly what we mean. So um, you can create your own soundtrack with Raycon. And right now, Baby Mama's No Drama listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash mama drama. That's buyraycon.com slash mama drama to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash mama drama. And that's B-U-Y raycon.com slash mama drama. 
can I ask why you started doing those crimes or how you got into doing those crimes? Yeah, I wanted to ask that. So I was broke. (laughs) I was broke. And the first uh, incident, uh, I had just separated from my husband at the time. I had three babies and they're at the age of two. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had split up and he had gone on his way and I was struggling. I was struggling to provide. And I remember I had gotten a, a notice either. It was either my light bill or my water bill. Um, we were going to get it shut off. And I was embarrassed to ask my family for help. I, and I found I was at work one day. I worked at a, as a Donna's office just working the front desk and I was getting paid cash for payments. And I, I was like, well, I'll just take this and I'll pay my light bill with it. And it, it, be, it grew out of, it began out of just necessity. Right. And then it That's was right. so easy that I just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. Um, for my first case, I was charged maybe like six months later, I went to court and I was giving probation, nothing major. Um, it wasn't classified as a deportable crime. So it was more so just a slap on the wrist. Okay. And then the other two cases came again when I separated from the father of the other two babies. And at this point I had five kids and I was in a really bad state of mind, emotionally, financially, everything. And again, same scenario at work. I saw the opportunity um, and I started taking cash again. And, or I think this time it was checks, actually. I came across checks and I forged some checks. I went to the bank, got caught the same night. Um, and then that's where everything spiraled. That you forged the check? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this... Um, what was that like? Like what... Were you, were you nervous when you were bringing the check to the bank? Like, what did that look like? Did they arrest you on the spot or how, what was that like? No. So my news station actually ran a article on this, on the the crimes and kind of the series of events. But when I went to the bank, everything was fine. Like I knew I was going to get caught at some point. I was giving my fingerprint, but I was in such a desperate state of mind that I just need this money quickly. I'm going to get away. I was pregnant with a baby at the time. And I thought, I'm going to go have the baby and then I'll come back and deal with all this mess. I mean, I knew I was going to get caught, but I wasn't planning on it being that same night. Mm -hmm. I didn't know at the time, but the father of my kids, his other baby mama and sister-in-law were logged into my Facebook. They had hacked my Facebook and they were watching real time what I was doing. And I was using Facebook as a way to commit these crimes. Like I was talking to people about it. So I was at the bank, they called the police and the police showed up to my house and um, they got a search warrant. And when you say talking to people, do you mean like on messenger or what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I just forged a check or, or. So I was um, using messenger, like texting, so to speak. And I had another person in the car with me committing these crimes. I would go into the bank, texting her from inside the bank, like, Hey, this is working, blah, 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 you know, just details. And, uh, without my, I had no idea, but baby daddy's family was watching everything I was doing. And so they called the police. And by the time I got home within like 10 minutes, police came knocking on my door. And, you know, I thought I could, I thought I, I could outsmart the system. And I said, I just don't need to open the door. If I don't open the door, they don't come in. Well, they got a search warrant. Mm -hmm. Uh, My kids were all there and they ransacked our home. I was arrested. I was about five or six months pregnant and I was taken to jail. Um, My kids were left with the father of my, my ex-husband. He came and picked up all of them. 
Um, I was really grateful that he took my other little guy that wasn't his and he got him to my family. And at this point, my family had no idea what the fuck I was doing. So when I, oh, wow. when I called from jail, they were like, what, what the fuck? Right, <laughs> like they right. had no, no, no idea. And so they took my kids and, um, my brother bailed me out like two days later and shout out to my brother because <laughs> I'll never forget that solid. Um, yeah. it was really rough in there. I, I'd never been to like adult jail. I spent a lot of time in correctional facilities as a juvenile, but this was my first time in the big house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pregnant. I was just upside down. I got bailed out and everything just began from there. You know, I was placed on a bond. I had to report. I started going to court and that was the beginning of no, like I knew like things were about to change drastically and I had fucked up severely and the, me and I, my entire pregnancy, I didn't know if I was going to have the baby in prison or if I would be taken to prison after it was a really, really stressful time. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't really able to enjoy the pregnancy and my baby because it, I was just dealing with court cases left and right from criminal to custody, immigration. Um, I don't know how I got through it. I look back and I'm like, that was a lot of crap <laughs> that you create, like a huge mess that I had created. But it was really monumental to me because as I look back, I remember the feeling of thinking like, I just, I just have to take it head on. You know, there was a lot of times where my mom was like, why don't you just leave to Mexico? Because we were afraid I was going to go to prison. Okay. And I thought, I can't. I can't, if I leave like this, if I leave this mess like this, this is what my kids are going to have of me. They're going to grow up. My face is on the news. You know, they're going to see like, she just took off. What am I teaching my kids? And for me, it was like, I knew I I had fucked up, but if, if I can teach him what to do after you fuck up, I can make a small difference. You know, I remember dropping off my daughter at school on my sentencing day and I would explain to them in childlike terms, like, look, mom has to go to court. This is going on. And on sentencing day, we all believed I was going to prison. Everybody was recommending it. So I said my goodbyes. I dropped on my kids at school. And I remember telling my daughter, I think she was like nine at the time, that what I want you to take away from this is this is how you fix your mistakes. You have to go and admit it. You have to make it right. And you have to receive judgment. And that's ultimately what I did. And I'm so proud of that journey because it was fucking hard. It was scary. Every time going into court, not knowing what's going to happen. Am I going to have this baby in prison? Am I going to be taken from her? It was hard, but that is what formed me into what I am right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and too, like if you would have just up and left to Mexico on your own, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the same feelings that you've had now, right? Like going through all of these things that you went through, you're able to be a better mother in Mexico and kind of restart and, 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 yeah. and have that reset. If you would have just up and left, you might be yeah. doing the same things there as you were here, still, you know, still running around trying not to, get... I probably wouldn't even be able to petition for my kids. Right. Imagine trying to petition for custody yeah. as a, like as a fugitive of, of the law, <laughs> yeah. it, it would not coincide. I mean, there's so many reasons why it had to have been done the way that it was done, right. but it definitely was not easy. And I look back and I think I really got through all that shit. Like me and my little family, like, cause my kids, my kids took a hit too. You know, my family, it affected everybody around me, the community. I mean, it was such a huge ripple effect. Um, but again, that is what makes the change. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to go through really fucked up scenarios to snap out of it, to make a lifestyle change. 
So did the older, did your older kids understand kind of like what was going on more than the little ones or were they still kind of not really understanding to the point? They knew because, you know, they saw the police come. They knew I was arrested. They saw me come and go from court and I explained it to them in childlike terms. I told them, you know, mom broke the law. This is what's happening. This is what could happen. And this is what could potentially happen. The babies were always clueless because they were so little. Um, They just didn't know. Um. But once I got deported, I is when it really hit the older kids, right? Um, because we weren't expecting it. When I originally was picked up by ICE, um, they gave me an ankle monitor because of the baby. So they came to pick me up, and I remember I had the breast pump on my shoulder at the time because I was doing something between work. And I said, "I have five kids at daycare. If you take me, <laughs> what happens to my kids?" And they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, we can release you on humanitarian grounds because of the of the baby." And so I was given this ankle monitor and I I was on it for three weeks. Um, I mean, followed everything by the book because I knew I was on thin ice. And in between that time, the father of my kids and his other baby mama was in contact with my ice agent and they were sending them pictures of me out with my friends and, and painting this picture that I was not a good mother, that I didn't have custody of my kids, that I wasn't nursing. Um, They used the um, guardianship I had given my mom in case I was, because uh, I went to jail as a way to tell them like, look, she doesn't even take care of the kids. So ICE came and they revoked the ankle monitor. And um, that was the end of it. Uh, if, if that hadn't happened, I would likely still be in the States right now fighting for my case. I'm actually now doing it for Mexico. But if, if I would still have been granted the ankle monitor, it wouldn't have been as traumatic, you know, to be picked up overnight because none of us were expecting it. We thought, okay, you know, we got this under control. We've, we went through the criminal cases. They're adjudicated. We're doing this. We got a lawyer. Everything was just lining up. You know, I was taking care of shit. And then when everything happened with ICE, we thought, okay, well now we're on the ankle monitor. Now we have to do this. We have an attorney for that. But ICE is so unpredictable and they can change their mind without reason or explanation, um, which is what they did. And it was overnight. I went to work one day, dropped off the kids, Like usual, I had a a court hearing for the termination of rights. I thought it would be like a quick half hour hearing and they picked me up at the court date and everything just was a domino effect. Nobody was expecting it. Um, The kids were completely shocked, you know, when I didn't come home, when we told them I was in Mexico. Um, My oldest daughter was, it hit her the hardest. She, I remember her telling me on the phone, she was like, mom. I'm too young to lose my mom. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. In her mind, she felt like she didn't have a mom anymore. You know, and I'm so sorry. It's no, like it's so hard to talk about. It's totally valid to them. It's like their whole life is just being mm-hmm. taken away from them. They don't, they don't understand. They think right. mom is gone. She's gone forever. And I didn't have answers. I didn't know when we were going to see each other. If we were going to see each other, I didn't know, you know, if I could afford to have them here or what I was going to do. I was homeless. I was jobless. I was carless. So I had nothing for my daughter to console her. You know, all I said was, it's going to be okay. And when I used to live in the States and we would struggle sometimes with money or, you know, moving from place to place, or sometimes we had to live with my mom. Um, I would always tell my daughter, you know, the, the, the most important thing is that we're together. That's right. all that matters is that we're together. So when we couldn't be together, I had nothing left. I felt like I was failing. I had nothing to give her to make her feel better, to reassure her. So it was a tough time. 
it was a tough time um, for them, for me, and people watching it. You know, my family, my friends, uh, a lot of them were helpless. You know, there was not much to be done. in these situations when families are just ripped apart and regardless of your views on immigration and, you know, criminal activity, the children are innocent. Right. Like there's still, despite, you know, your crimes and what you had done, there are still five children right in the middle of all Mm -hmm. of this. And so how do you decide that, you know, whether someone should be ripped away from their family and just never to be seen again, or, or, you know, they could have, I guess, let you stay here to, to, to figure it out. But so during all of this time, you're, your ex-husband, did he, did you ever, were you ever able to prove, like, I gave my mom guardianship during this process, like, those were old pictures, if they were old, or, like, because I I could imagine you're probably not actually going out when you have an ankle monitor on, so. Right, and (laughs) so, yeah, like, I I didn't care um, to listen to any of that, the decision was made by ICE, and at that point, I was so tired of fighting emotionally, financially, that I just took their decision and I said, I'm done. Like, I, it was like my life had been on trial for so long, for like right. two years of just everything that by the time immigration stepped in, I was exhausted mm-hmm. in every way, shape and form that I just said, okay, you know, okay. And I actually didn't find out about why they revoked it until a couple years later. They never really told me. It was a couple years later, my baby daddy's baby mama that had involvement in it out of guilt. She reached out to me through email and she apologized and she sent me the emails that they had sent ICE telling them that I was a threat, that I was illegal, that I was harassing their family, that I wasn't nursing my baby. They had taken pictures on my social media of me out with my friends and said, look, she's drinking and partying. Um, I had taken a trip to Vegas for uh, 48 hours with my breast pump they took those pictures and they just painted this picture that I was pretty much playing the system and when I received those emails um, it was very triggering because for so long I had felt like I did all of this to myself and in part I did but I realized that there was people that put their hand in it to affect me and my kids maliciously you know, because right. everything that was in those emails were untrue, but ICE doesn't care. They don't, they're not going to go and investigate whether this shit is true or not to, to them. I'm just another felon. I'm just another like immigrant, mm-hmm. another immigrant causing problems. And they were receiving so many emails and calls from this family that they said, fuck it, let's go get her, mm-hmm. throw her in and problem solved. And it was problem solved because then I just signed the order and then they didn't have to deal with me. You know, when your ICE is very good at cornering us into signing those orders because we're desperate or we don't want to go to jail or we don't know how long we'll be in there for, or the conditions of the jail are, for example, I had a family that reached out to me a month ago on Instagram of this young man that was waiting, awaiting deportation. And he was in jail clothes. He didn't have any belongings with them. So ICE was going to cross him over in his jail clothes with nothing no cash. And so they reached out to me because they're like, well, we heard that you mentioned you took a bag with you. I said, yes, you're entitled to at least a 40 pound bag mm-hmm. cash. Um, and at least a pair of clothes, because when you get to the border, if you're in jail clothes, you're a target for extortion, for kidnapping. They know you're from the States. They're no, they, it's bad. Wait, wait. So time out. When you say when you cross the border, what do you mean? You're walking across the border or drop? Oh yeah. Off yeah. You're Oh no, girl! They drop you off. They say, <laughs> "Let let me." That I is a whole. To ask you about that too, because I saw actually one of your TikToks, and it was basically focusing on 
the whole ice experience and like when they come and pick you up and like the conditions that they put you in because that's something that I feel really needs to be talked about. Um, so they just drop you off at the border and just you're like, okay, they don't say it. But this is such an important part of the story that I want to share with everybody of yes, how they true. deport us because yes. it is completely inhumane and unsafe. I understand the need for immigration policies enforcement, but it is so dangerous to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what happens. Okay. So I'm in jail and I've signed my deportation order and my mom keeps asking, so where are they sending her? How do we know we need to make arrangements to pick her up? You know? And then, so they tell my mom, the women will be flown into Mexico city because it's safer mm-hmm. and we'll let you know when she's flown in. Right. Well, they didn't tell her anything. They, and they didn't tell me anything. They pick you up at four in the morning. They don't tell you where you're going. They don't, they don't tell you if you're being moved facilities. If you're going to Mexico that day, they just pick you up and no explanations and you just have to go along with it. So I was picked up and I was put on a plane, a private ice plane. It's, it's a huge plane. You're shackled from head to toe, waist, everything. And you're put on this plane with your gel clothes. And we were, we were in Utah. We flew to every surrounding state and picked up more prisoners or detainees um, without food, without water. And the only reason we knew we were in a different state is because every time somebody would come on, we would be like, Hey, where are we? Oh, you're in Arizona. Oh, this is, you know, and we were like, wow, we're going everywhere. Like, where are we going? Why are we picking? We have, you're blind. You're completely blind. You're denied any access to make any phone calls to let your family know where you are or that you're en route somewhere. And the ice does not update your location on the ice facility. So your ghost, your attorney, my attorney didn't know where I was. My family didn't know where I was or where I was going. So I arrived to a facility in Texas. It's like a, have you ever seen the movie holes? Yes. yes. Okay. It's a camp like that. It's, oh it looks God. just like that out in the desert with bunks and barbed wire and oh just God. like that. And again, no access to phone calls, nothing. You are just and, and I kept wondering, like, why can't we make phone calls? And I just kept thinking, we must be being, like, transported to a permanent facility. I had no idea. Well, we wake up one morning, and they put us on a bus. And the whole time, I'm asking, like, other people along the way, like, how does this work? Where do we go? And they just keep telling me, when you get to the border, do not get in a taxi, because the taxis are linked to the cartels, and they will kidnap you. Mm-hmm. I'll type the horror stories. So I'm just sitting there like... Kind of like when you go to other countries, too. Like, you, if, you were, if you're traveling, it's, like, safer to stay in a resort. And they're like, yeah. don't go to the... Don't go outside the resort. Yep. Right? So they're like, don't take the taxis. And I was like, okay, well, I'll call my mom. So Because my mom had said, we'll have a family member go get you. We have family scattered all over Mexico. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we wake up one morning, and they put, the, they put us on a bus. And they drive us to the border. And we're all together, women with men. And the reason why I mentioned that is because these are the same men that I was en route with the entire time that were catcalling and making comments and some men that have been prisoned for years are not being deported. We're all in the same group on foot at the border in Juarez. And we are walked across the bridge and they record us on a little piece of paper with pen, the Mexican government does, and then you're on your own. And the dead center of Juarez at the bridge, your family doesn't know you're there. You're not giving any time or opportunity to make arrangements for pickup, for travel, for housing, for money. There was people that arrived with nothing but the clothes on their backs. I was lucky. My mom had like fought with ice to give me a bag. Mm-hmm. And so when I arrived, they gave me my little luggage. And by the grace of God, my phone was in there and I had like 2% battery. And I called my mom quickly and I said, mom, I'm in Juarez. 
And I remember what she said. She was like, hijos de la chingada madre. They, she was so mad because they had lied to her. They yeah, told right. her I would be flown I, safely to Mexico City. Yeah, and I was like, mom, I'm on right? foot in Juarez. I'm scared. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And she said, get in a cab and get to the airport. And these are the same cabs that people have been telling me not to yeah, take. Like, but uh, at this point, I'm desperate. desperate yeah. And I'm like, okay, here we fucking go. Let's take a, ta- mm-hmm. a cab. And by the grace of God, he was not a cartel cab. He yeah, got me to the yeah. airport. He charged me like $40. The last $40 I had, like by the luck, I had $40 in my pocket. I give him the $40 and then I get to the airport, charge my phone. I call my mom and she buys me a plane. She buys a plane ticket for me to fly to PV. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got here. But the entire process of, you know, getting from Utah to Mexico was scary. It was the way they handle it is you're, it's almost like it felt like kidnapping. Like nobody knows where yeah. you're at. You're there. Don't disclose where you're going. You're literally put on a plane, blindfolded, shackled, no food or water, and just if you're at their mercy. Yeah. If something was to happen to you during that time, you, nobody knows. Nobody where can you're even at. come save you. Nobody. So when we crossed the border, and they recorded my name on a piece of paper with pen. And I remember thinking, what happens if this gets lost? Exactly. What happens if this, if something happens to me when I cross? How long does it take for my parents to know I was here today? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's like your whole life is just dependent on that little piece, piece of paper. paper and pen that they have. Yeah, it was crazy to me. I, it was, it was scary. It was terrifying. And Absolutely. they still, they are still deporting like that. I posted a, a video recently um, on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's exactly, it's a, people are lined up in their jail clothes. Yeah. They're all dressed the same and they're walked across like that. And everybody in Mexico knows that they're fresh, freshly deported. It makes them targets for kidnapping, for extortion, tons of shit. Yeah, but you just, you know, maybe the U.S. government isn't aware of this, but I recently reached out to ICE because of a of, of family that had reached out to help that they wanted to get him a bag. And I reached out to ICE and I said, look, if you, def- if you deport this man in his jail clothes with nothing, you're making him a target for all of these things. And if something happens, ICE is going to be responsible because we've tried to contact you. The least you can give him is a pair of clothes. Yeah. So he's not identified as an inmate. And so they, they allowed us to get him one pair of clothes and that was it. They didn't allow him the bag. They wouldn't allow him cash, just a pair of clothes. And so eventually we got him over the border safely. He was in contact with his family, but I mean, it was just really disheartening and it's so inhumane. I mean, imagine you're leaving your entire life in the U S as it is. And you're literally walking over a bridge to nothing a place you don't with nothing. Mm-hmm. So with Andy, no idea for, for the sake of our listeners to know, I mean, I know you speak Spanish because I've watched your videos. Um, did you know Spanish? prior to going to Mexico like had you always known Spanish or did you always speak English or you did both like what did that look like because I would imagine for for several for several people you know maybe they forget their Spanish and then they're deported as adults and they no longer speak Spanish to Mm -hmm. you know cross the border and know you know the language so I knew Spanglish (laughs) Spanish was my first language but we got here when I was five and I did nothing but English. So the only time I really used my Spanish is when I would talk to my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I did not know good Spanish to get me by. It was total Spanglish. And there were words that I didn't understand. Like I remember when I went to look for my first apartment, they asked me, what's your budget in Spanish? And I was like, what, what does that mean? (laughs) I didn't, I couldn't get by. Um, I was a complete tourist and it, you know, my Spanish is better now. 
but I did struggle to adapt um, with basic things like ordering my food or right. you know, calling a company or little things like that. It was definitely a struggle. So what about your kids? What does that look like for them? Did they also know Spanish when you guys moved there or have they been learning also? So my older kids have always been part of the dual immersion program in the States where they did half of their day in Spanish, half of their day in English. So they had really, they had really choppy Spanish, but they did get by and they've gotten a lot better since. So they knew enough Spanish to be able to do school in Spanish. Um, My youngest babies, they're bilingual fluently in both because they were so little, they were able to pick up both. Mm-hmm. So, so it's always better to start them. Yeah, it really came in clutch when, um, you know, I thought it's a good thing I put them in the dual immersion. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think they yeah. would have really struggled without the Spanish. So, like, I, I've tried to watch some of your TikToks to just to, like, catch up with you and your stories and stuff. And I'm just, there's a lot, I guess there's, like, on, I'm not, I don't go on TikTok a lot. Like, I, I watch some stuff. But is there, like, a separate part that's called, like, is like prison TikTok or something prison like talk. that or it's like yeah so it's like um people who have committed crimes and stuff they kind of go back out there and they're like trying to look for mm-hmm. jobs and stuff like that so I've seen you've done yeah. a lot of videos because you get obviously you get comments and people you know judging and you mm-hmm. know like you don't deserve anything because you committed these crimes but yeah like what have you done up until this point that you feel like listen I do deserve a second chance and I you know like I'm going about things the right way and you know like how do you respond you know to those kind of things? I've I've been um, not surprised at the amount of hate that I've received because, you know, people want to hold you to your crimes forever. Right. You know, people want to give you life sentence, <laughs> this, regardless of what type of crime you committed, whether you're a felon or a misdemeanor. Um, so the first step was just talking about it. A lot of people were shocked at how open I was and transparent. And a lot of people were uncomfortable by it, but it's part of the story. Yeah. You know, I can't sit here and tell you I was deported without telling you why and right. why is my crimes. My, you know, regardless of who put their hand in it or what other influences, I was deported because I committed crimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think as a society, we do such a terrible job of allowing these people that commit mistakes to reintegrate, you know, to be normal people. You can't get a job can't even volunteer at school. I mean, there's so many things you can't do for the rest of your life. And, you know, focusing more on the felon label, because I'm a felon. I was a felon in the States for a few years prior to my deportation. And I'm still a felon now. I still get the brand, even though I'm in Mexico. um, I've lost jobs here because of it, because it's it's following. It's going to follow me for the rest of my life. I mean, my article is on the news. You could Google me and it will give you a rundown of everything that happened. So in, to be honest, It's not that I feel like I deserve a second chance. Um, I'm humbled by the second chance. I don't think I'm entitled to anything. There are many days where I realized that I should have and could have been sitting in a prison cell for many years instead of being here. You know, there's days that I have that I miss my family or I'm struggling and I think it could always be worse because I was supposed to be in prison Mm -hmm. for many years. Yeah. You know, the secondary felonies, they were 10 to life and I had 12 of them. So I'm always humbled for the second chance. And it's not that I feel like I deserve it or they owe it to me or I'm entitled, but it, it came to me and I'm making the best, the best of it, you know, for me and my kids and rebuilding a life. And I think I wish that society was more accepting of us trying to do so because there's a lot of people that stay there because they stay in their crimes their patterns of criminal activity, because it's hard to come out. You know, I've been told on my Insta or on my TikTok probably every day, you're a scammer. Stop scamming people. This and that. And it's sometimes really um, discouraging. You know, I like this whole 
this whole project we're doing with the school, you know, I still get, or I did like a little uh, project with puppies, like saving puppies out I here. Mm-hmm. Everything was just like, you're scamming, you're scamming, you're scamming. And I'm like, fuck, I understand why people stay scammers. Like I understand why people stay felons because it is so hard to rise above it. Yeah. And even when you put your all into it and to do things the right way and you're honest, a lot of doors shut for you. Right. You know, like I mentioned, I lost jobs here because of it. I lost a job because of my TikTok, my job that I was with, for four years, let me go after they saw my TikTok. And I thought to myself, if I stayed if you guys enough, like what I've been doing and how much change I've, I've had over the years and they still let you go. It, it doesn't matter. It, like they, they want you to, like, if I lived in the darkness, I would still be there, you know? And to me that bothered me because I felt like I don't want to live. I, why should I, you know, I, I paid, I paid the highest price, you know, I lost so much. There's people I probably will not, I don't know if I'll ever see again in the States, you know, friends, family, um, my kids, it was just cost me so much. So when I say that I paid for what I did, I paid in many different ways. And I think to myself sometimes how much more can, I don't think I I could ever satisfy some people, you know, they want you to, to suffer lifelong. They want to give you a a life sentence, even though the judge didn't give you a life sentence. You know, if I was supposed to be in prison, I would be there. You know, I went. I faced the judge. I, you know, I accepted the judgment, the consequences they were rendered. And now I get to move on with my life. You know, it's okay to allow people to move on. You can't hold us there forever. And I think I'm going to, you know, for the rest of my life, have people like that, especially as my platform keeps on growing because it's, since you open your life to criticism, to opinions, and, you know, we all have different views. But I think the important, for me, the important part has been that, it's inspired other people in my same shoes. I have received thousands of messages from people that are felons or are in the same shoes or have been deported that have been living in shame for many, many years. And they tell me seeing your story makes me feel better. To me, that makes a difference because I know when I was going through it, it would have made me feel a little bit better to feel like, you know, maybe I'm not this terrible person. I went through a lot of, um, like self-esteem issues during the course of those years and feeling like I just was a really shitty person. I had done terrible things and I was the hardest on myself, you know, more than anybody else. It took a while to come out of that and to build some self-love. But now I'm like, fuck you. Like I paid for all that. Like this, this a new me, this new Annie. I don't know her. I don't know that girl anymore. (laughs) I love it. So are your, are your family members able to come there to visit you? Yeah. So all my family members are citizens. They uh, are all naturalized. So they went through the process. They had their green cards and they obtained citizenship and they come and go uh, frequently, which is another thing that I feel really blessed about because not everybody here has that. A lot of people here, um, their family are, you know, undocumented immigrants. So they haven't seen them in years, but my family comes and goes frequently. I have a lot of support from my family. And I think that has been monumental in being able to rebuild a stable foundation for my kids, you know, I remember there was a time where, you know, we lost one of the custody hearings and the kids went to Walter for a couple of months and all of them? Lost just the babies. He's oh, only okay. the father to the youngest too. Okay. Um, and I lost my shit. I was suicidal. I was, I mean, it was, it was so bad. And my sister flew out here on a whim, you know, and she spent a few days with me and kind of got me back on my feet and said, you got to keep going. And, you know, just, scenarios like that where I feel like I don't think I could have made it without my family I don't think I could have kept fighting all those court dates all those setbacks 
um, to get to where we where we are today without having a solid support system that could be here and and was involved and you know cared for my children. The peace of mind I had when my kids were with my mom, you know, in the first few months here that got me by because right. I can't, can you imagine just being in another, in another country and not feeling okay about where your kids are not knowing if no, they're safe or taken care of, or if your baby daddy is snorting Coke while he's taking, yeah. you know, it was just. And that's when you say that you paid for your crimes in so many ways, that's one of them that people are not considering, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can see like the, the trolls and stuff thinking that you, you didn't, you didn't go to prison. So you didn't pay, but it suffer. You're suffering literally losing sleep over where your kids are you're physically mentally emotional yeah you're making you're sick wondering where your kids are Mm -hmm. you know are they are they with their their dad that's really not sufficient and not safe like Mm -hmm. those are things those are ways that you paid for your crimes and I don't think people think about that I mean those are the worst those are the worst ways to pay for your because yeah it's no control absolutely no no control control over any of those situations you don't know yeah happen you can't tell them anything that's going to make them feel better so at that point, you're just like, that's a special kind of hell. Perfect way to put it. That's how that's the only way I could imagine it. It's like, yeah, it is. I think, um, you know, when when the kids so the kids were awarded to Walter for maybe like three or four months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to watch my babies go to the hands of these people mm-hmm. that had tried so hard to bury me, you know, to that baby mama. And it was Wait, one so of the hardest you- was it Walter and his girl or was it your ex-husband and his girl? No, it was Walter. So my ex-husband and I have always been on decent terms oh, um, okay. to this date. But Walter and I had just a really bad fallout. That relationship yeah. went to shit and, um, you know, it affected everything. It changed my life. You know, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And when the kids went to him and his family, it was probably one of the lowest points for me to be able to sleep at night knowing mm-hmm. people who I had so much animosity towards yeah. were holding and loving my babies while I was stranded here and I couldn't even oh touch her, smell her. You know, I forgot what she laughed like. Mm-hmm. I forgot what she smelled like. Yeah. That's so hard. I don't even know how I would have gotten through that. Oh my God. So how did you, how were you able to like get them? How were, how were you able to prove that you were worthy enough to get them back? So I actually initially at the beginning of the fight, I was set in stone on, I want custody of my kids and they're going to come live here no matter what. And I got so beat down through the process of being denied and denied and denied that at the end I settled for visits. We settled, we came to an agreement or we went to trial and the verdict was that they would live with him for two months and they would come to me for six weeks back and forth, back and forth. And that was the agreement. And at the time I was under the same cloud that the best things are in the USA, the best education, you know, they're better off there. I'm going to make the sacrifice as much as it hurts me for them to stay there. And I'll do what I can for them from here because I, I didn't have my entire shit together yet. I didn't know the school systems. I didn't, still didn't know how to maneuver my way around. So I was still afraid to have them full time. And so I said, they could stay um, with the dad and I'll have to, you know, deal with it and they'll come and see me. So they came for the first visit once we came to the agreement and they went back successfully. And then Walter called me one day and he said, hey, my family's coming down. Do you want to have the kids early for summer? 
they could stay there longer. And I said, hell fucking yeah, I want to have the kids. I bought their tickets and they came down. Mm -hmm. And then Walter had such a good time without the kids that one month turned into two months, into three months, four months. And then he said, you know what? Just keep them. Uh, We came to... My, I mean, I was mind blown because I was like, "Motherfucker, you made me spend all this fucking money." Yes, we just went, out. we just went through all this. You, this, you, you did all this yes. with your baby mama yes. to get me in yes. a position that I'm in. So all of this was like for what? starting from the hands of them in ICE and getting you deported was never about the kids. No, it's always about controlling you. Let me tell you why. You I have skills. I literally like. I can't. <laughs> so I can't. So Walter was also in deportation proceedings. He currently still is. And so he was in deportation proceedings. Deported? He is also undocumented. And before I was arrested by ICE, he was already fighting his case. Time he out. didn't. Time so what is time out? So why? More, I feel like that would make me less. I wouldn't even want to be in. Why would I want to put ICE? Well, because he was probably jealous that he, he was, was on bond. So he was in the safe zone. So he got picked up by ICE like a year before I did. And he bonded out and he was going through his cases, courts. And so he was not under any like danger of being held by ICE. He was already dealing with them. Okay. So when I got picked up by ICE, he filed for emergency petition because those two U.S. citizen children are we're going to save him from getting deported. That was his plan. Mm-hmm. So he went to the immigration courts and he said, I am the father of these two children who have, their mom has just been deported. If you deport me, they will be parentless. So he gave them this sob story. So they were pawns. They were pawns in his immigration case. When I found that out, I made a fucking call with a quickness to yeah. the attorney general's office. And I said, mm-hmm. Here is all our custody paperwork. So you can see that he hasn't been involved. He's never paid child support. I was about to terminate his rights. My kids don't fucking know him. There is no hardship to these kids because if they deport him, they come back to their mother. And I am not hardship, you know? So I went through the process of reaching out to the immigration courts and I had to let them know what the actual conditions, you know, the circumstances of my child, of those babies were. And it was not, Walter didn't even have access to them at the, at that time because the court had issued a restraining order due to his drug use. So the, the two courts don't connect. Family courts and immigration courts do not connect okay. unless you let them know. Mm-hmm. So he had this custody case where he's a piece of shit, isn't paying child support, is about to get his rights termed. And then he's telling the immigration courts, if you deport me, my children will suffer. So that was the whole point. So he lost his case because of me, because I interfered and I said, here's a document. He hasn't been a father. There is no hardship to my children if you deport him. So he lost. And then once he lost was when he said, well, now you can, if you want to keep them longer, do you want them to come out? Maybe you could keep them longer. I mean, he, he lost interest in having sole custody because he he wasn't benefiting anymore. Is that when the girlfriend or the baby mama felt guilt and told you everything? Or was that before? She, uh, that was after. So she reached out to me once the kids were already back with me. And she said, you know, I'm sorry. I should have never supported him. This was wrong. I didn't speak up when they did this. Here's the emails. I hope this gives, gives you some type of healing. And, you know, I, I appreciated that she reached out and gave me, I needed that. Tr- I needed to know that because I always wondered why did it happen the way that it happened? You know, why did they come for me that way? So that was a missing piece to my healing to know that 
this family had gone that far to see those emails and the things that were said about me. It made me feel like, you know what, at that point, I wasn't doing anything wrong anymore. I was really trying my hardest. And there was people that were just hell bent on, you know, fucking with me. Yeah. Yeah. So it helped me kind of be kinder to myself and realize that, yes, I fucked up, but there were also situations where I was, you know, the system was used as a, as a weapon against me by people, you know, maliciously. And so it, it gave me some healing to, to know that. And so when she reached out to me, she also has a kid with them and, and our kids are siblings. So we corresponded for a bit and we would let the kids FaceTime. And a lot of people like my friends are like, what the fuck you're talking to her. But at that point, yeah, I just I would, felt like a release of hate, honestly, like I had right, hated yeah. her for so long and it fucked with me. And when she reached out and we started just swapping stories and feelings and everything that I felt like I could finally breathe, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I could put that hate to rest that animosity um to know some of the some of the things that they had done against me helped me piece together my puzzle of why everything happened the way that it did and to take some of the blame off of myself some of maybe not the blame but I was so hard on myself for some of the things that my kids went through and some of those things have you know my kids felt and endured were because of this family that was hell bent and and they didn't think about the kids they didn't give a fuck about them exactly and so that was you know healing to me so once that happened um you know and walter walter and i came to an agreement and he signed a a stipulation where the kids um would be with me and we went back and forth a little bit since and he's wanted them back and you know i've set my ground and I, i i rehired my attorney i think last year um to get child support because although he agreed to send them out here, he still didn't want to pay child support. And he was under the impression that, well, I don't have to pay. You're in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you fucking do. So I hired oh, my wow. attorney and we applied a ridiculous amount of pressure. I spent more money in trying to collect child support than actually receiving it. But to me, I did it because it was a personal thing to me. I felt like this is something that belongs to my kids yeah. that you are shorting them up after everything you've done to us. This is yeah. the least that you could do because exactly. it would make a difference exactly. in their schooling out here. It would make a difference in their quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, we went as far as to issue writs on his bank accounts, his cars, wow. his possessions. Um, a constable went to his home and seized everything from TVs, cameras, phone, anything that he owned was seized to sell towards a judgment, my child support judgment. And when that happened, he got so fed up that his attorney called us and said, my client will relinquish his rights. If you can agree to not pursue any more child support, if you will cease from collection activity, he will give up his rights. And at that point I was like, I really struggled with a decision, you know, because it hurt me. It hurt me. You're not willing to pay for your kids so much that you're willing to give them, give up, their, give them up. That's, oh. It was a hard pull to swallow um, because I felt like I was being very generous. Like I even told the court was, was ordering $750 a month. And I said, send me 500 and we'll call it even, you know? 
And even and he was like, I'm not going to pay your your bills in, in Mexico. That's a lot of money out there. You know, everybody has the impression that Mexico is so cheap. I live in Vallarta. It's not that cheap. A lot of things transfer right over, especially yeah. with school now. Um, so he was just like, I'm not paying. I'm not paying for your bills out there. He was under this impression that he was going to be maintaining me with $500 and he would not pay. Um, but it was still a really hard hit when, when I got that email. And so this is what I did. I took a couple of days to think about it. And I came back with a counter offer. I said, you know, at that point he owed thousands in, in child support. And that's what I was collecting on, um, on the judgment, like seizing all his shit. So I said, I will forgive everything that you owe us. We will start fresh. You will pay me $500 a month from here on out. And we will set up a parent time plan for them to go visit you. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was being really generous. I felt like, uh, I mean, I was wiping away thousands, uh, attorney's fees, shit he owed us, but for the sake of peace, because honestly, I didn't want my kids to, to lose their father. You know, that's a hard thing to explain later on. Mm-hmm. Well, he came back and he said, um, this is causing too much drama for me and my relationship. I want to terminate my rights. Wow. And he can't turn, terminate his rights unless you agree to it. Is that right? Right. I would need to, I would need to agree to it and I would need to prove that I could sustain them on my own and they would not become a public charge to the welfare system and the state of Utah. Okay. So that was like for, for Delaware here in Delaware, um, you cannot terminate your rights to a child unless you have a step parent or other person willing to take on that role as the second parent. So in the state of Delaware, as far as to my knowledge, um, they have to basically have two Parents. parents. Every child has the right to two parents. So if that's like a grandmother guardian, I don't know. Um, but when my son's dad tried to terminate his rights, they said no, because I didn't have a step parent willing to adopt them. That's also um, initially what they do in Utah. Okay. It's, you either have to have a step parent or prove that you can sustain them on your own and they won't be, they won't, you won't need welfare. And because I was in Mexico, obviously they're not going to end up in welfare. And that was kind of what we use as a way to prove to the the courts that, look, this is what's in the best interest. Um, He can sign in with his rights. We'll agree to it. And I hoped that, you know, by me agreeing to do that, because he was always like, oh, you're just out to make my life hell. He doesn't want to fuck with me type of thing. And I was like, okay. Right. Like, what the hell? (laughs) You want to talk about living in hell? (laughs) (laughs) exactly so you know i thought i i hope this shows you that if i wanted to fuck with you i would come after you for the rest of your life from mexico but i just want to be nice (laughs) yeah and ultimately you know to me that was like this is great i never have to spend on attorney's fees again because that shit was draining this shit was fucking expensive from here and it's mentally exhausting exhausting. Exhausting. Yeah. yeah I was like, it's costing me more to pursue him than I'm getting. Like at this point, you're an expense to us. Not only do you not help, you're costing me money. So sign away. Yeah, sign away. And, you know, he hit me up after maybe five, six months. I'm sorry. That was the wrong thing to do. It feels so bad. Um, He regretted it. And I have daddy issues. So it hit a soft spot for me. You know, it was really... I went through a few months of just being really fucked up about the fact that my kids were not going to have a dad. Mm-hmm. So when he hit me up and, you know, he was sorry and we had these long conversations and he was like, I just need to see my kids. So I said, I will send the kids to come see you. We made an agreement and they went in January. All five of my kids went back to the States to visit their dads because my older three also go back and forth. Yeah. And so I said, I'll send them to you. Maybe this can be the beginning of some normalcy, maybe without the court stuff. Maybe we could, you know, maybe what we needed was just to cut the courts out. 
Oh, you good know, on you because yeah. the, the, I don't think I could. I don't think I Absolutely. could do it. I don't think I could. Hey, I've had a lot of you know friends and family tell me like, "What the fuck?" But I don't want my babies to grow up feeling like they weren't enough for their dad. And maybe that's you know because that's how I grew up with my dad when he was gone. And so when Walter makes the tiniest bit of effort, I jump on it, yeah. you know, because I'm like. I want them to know him. My son looks just like him, right. <laughs> talks like him, walks like him, mm-hmm. you know, and I have a hard time understanding like, how, how do you go on without these kids? Yeah. You know? So when he reached out, he was like, Oh yeah, I'll pay for everything. You know, he was on his a game and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I paid for everything. He was supposed to reimburse me. Never did. The kids went up. They were there for like three months. Um, we fell out again. The kids ended up with my mom. Uh, he was just off doing stupid shit. It, it didn't pan out. Um, so when they came back, you know, they've been back for a few months now and I've just kind of started to accept that Mm -hmm. they're going to have a limited relationship with him. I can't find it in me to close a door completely. Right. I can't, it's not in me because one, my son asks about him sometimes. My son knows who he is. And, and two, I don't want the guilt of knowing, you know, if they don't have a relationship with him, it's, it's not, not because, because of, of you. It's because yeah, of him. Exactly. That's his choices. I you part and you can, you try your best, you know, and yeah, you can and and part. I hope that those up, yeah, that on their own eventually. They will. They will when they grow up. And you know, I send him videos, pictures periodically. Um, I believe smile. sometimes. Oh, uh, like three weeks ago, he replied with a two hundred dollar Venmo, so that was a win. <laughs> <laughs> so how often do the kids go down to visit their dads? Um, it's, we don't have a set schedule. So for example, my older kids, um, they were here because of the pandemic longer than we expected. Mm-hmm. So they came down when the pandemic hit and online schools facilitated the way for us to keep them here. And they were doing online school for their school back in Utah. Yeah. So they stayed for almost a year. They went back for like three months recently to visit their dad. They came back and we just put them in school uh, down here. And my daughter, she's 13. She wants to finish out the school year here. So I think they'll probably go back for summer to see their dad. And this is for the older three. The younger two, they're just always going to probably be here. I mean, I have family up there that, um, you know, enjoy seeing them and they're really bonded. So maybe they'll go up and maybe see their dad on a weekend or something. But it's not anything that will ever, I don't think, be set in stone or like, oh, you're going to go visit your dad. I make my plans without Walter and him because he's just really unreliable. So at this point, they're all here full time and we just kind of wing the visits, you know, based on affordability and where everyone's at because it's expensive to send five kids back and forth. For sure. I have four and just thinking about leaving, we left the country last month and I literally was like, I probably won't do this again until they're five because it's so expensive. Yeah, it's. I mean, we have gotten good at like finding deals and like sometimes my family lives in Salt Lake, but sometimes they'll drive to LA and fly out of LA because it's that much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've been doing it for a while, you kind of find ways to save and mm-hmm. pinch and, you know, because yeah. um, it's a must, unfortunately. And I tell my kids all the time, like, you guys are so blessed that you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, most kids don't even leave the country let alone multiple times a year. And you're over here bouncing back and forth from beach life to skiing. Like it's crazy. And that's one of the things that I'm like, this is, was really such a blessing for us. Now that our life, you know, four years later, it took some time to get us here, but I look at my kids and I think 
they're doing fucking great. <laughs> like they got it good now. It, I mean, all of my kids are, are multiracial or biracial. And if I had, I mean, obviously different circumstances, but if like Lincoln mm-hmm. could go spend half the year in Guatemala, like that would be so cool for him, mm-hmm. you know, and Isaac in Puerto Rico, that would be amazing. So I love that you're looking at the positive side of it because it, it truly could have been very, very different. So I think you having this positive outlook and the platform that you have has probably, you know, made you look at it differently. It has. I mean, it's nice for me too. When the kids all went to the States for the three months, uh-huh. yes. I was like, I, was like <laughs> I hadn't had any time to myself. Right. So I'm here by myself, no family, no dad weekends with dad. So it's just me 24 seven with the kids. So right. by the time they left, I was I like, some much needed, you know, mommy time that I was, right. I was fucking everywhere. We went to Colombia. We went all over Mexico. I it was a good I was time. Ask you that. So yeah. are you able to, since you're in Mexico now, are you, you're still able to travel to other places, just not here to the U S right. So I have a Mexican passport and every country has its own requirements for a visa. Uh, I don't think that I can enter Canada because they have systems with the U S okay. but um, anywhere else I think is, you know, Okay, I went to Colombia without issue. Um, they don't have, I don't think they're connected to like the US system. So as long okay. as we have a valid passport, which I have a Mexican passport, it's like, um, they don't know that, Annie, you know? Right. <laughs> it's a whole new me. Um, so, what, how was it when you first moved to Mexico, like getting jobs and stuff like that? I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, and are yeah. you working now? Yeah. So, when I first got here, my mom was like, you're going to make like $400 a month tops. And I was like, $400? How, how the fuck? Right. Uh, so I interviewed a lot of Mexican companies. When I first got here, I spent like the first two weeks walking all over PV, interviewing, just kind of getting the feel for it. And she was right. Most Mexican companies paid very, very little. They work six days a week. And I was like, no weekends off. What the fuck oh is this? No weekends off. <laughs> like the whole thing was a culture shock. And yeah. I, I stumbled on Craigslist one time and I saw this uh, US-based company hiring for an admin assistant. So, you know, I applied and it turned out to be this company from California that outsourced here and they had a little office and it was uh, US hours making, uh, it was like $9 an hour at the time, which is really good for here. I was making like, uh, I want to say $1,600 a month. Okay. And I mean, for Mexico, that's pretty decent. Most people yeah, make like 400 So I was with them for four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got the job. And it was just like uh, email, customer service via email, pretty much Mm -hmm. um, for a broker in in San Jose. And um, that's what I built my foundation off of. I was able to start, you know, I got an apartment, I got a car, and I just slowly moved my way up. Um, currently, so I, and I stuck to the line of business. I realized that there's a lot of U.S. companies that will outsource for cheaper labor. And it's a hit and miss. Some of them pay really crappy, like $4 an hour. But I've been, I don't know if it's luck or I just know where to look. I've gone through three or four of them. And um, I've made between 10 to $13 an hour, which is like amazing there. So currently I'm I'm a virtual assistant for a realtor. And I do just all his social media management, uh, marketing, phone calls, just anything that he needs. Kind of like a personal assistant, the virtual, you know, virtually. Does he know Um, your story? uh, He does. Uh, So one of the, 
things I started doing was like, you know, I'm on TikTok now. I'm like this huge and it's going to get back to them one way or another. So it is, it is what it is at this point. And I actually went through, um, a couple of jobs that weren't okay with it, but I was like, that's okay. I'd rather you tell me now right. than and, then and then, and then I'm, I'm fired because you found yeah. my TikTok and you exactly. know, so yeah. it also changed the way that I um, presented myself because for a long time I would hide that about me. I was ashamed, you know, like, oh, they're not, I would lie on all the job applications. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Fat no, you know, or else I'm not going to get, <laughs> I'm not going to get hired. Um, but here I just, it, it's part of my story. It's part of who I am. And I have to embrace it for what it is. And it gives the company an opportunity to decide whether they want to take the risk or not, you know, because ultimately that's how they view it. It's a risk, especially now with a a platform this big that, you know, they could tie you back to the company and, you know, it gets messy. So um, I'm doing that on top of, um, you know, my, I work my platforms. And then right now we are, uh, I'm teaching. I'm teaching English. Uh, right. time. <laughs> You're doing everything. Huh? Yeah. So I'm a teacher. I'm a VA. I'm a mommy and working my platforms. And then we just took on this project with the school supplies. Um, so I'm extremely busy, but uh, you know, I'm blessed. It's, it's definitely giving me a, a foundation for my baby, some stability and not the, you know, paycheck to paycheck and wondering, you know, so currently um, I own my home. I own my car. Um, I have, you know, expenses for my kids and stuff, but I have never been in a better financial situation than I am now. And uh-huh. things that I have like obtained here, I would have, I would have never bought a home in the States. Like I was renting because that's my credit was shit. I mean, so many things that it was just like a fresh leap here. You know, I could start from scratch with the lessons that I had from the States and I don't live on credit. Um, you know, my big assets are paid off. And, you know, if I'm in between jobs, like I have a cushion, I, I know we're going to be okay. Yeah, that was really important to me because, you know, my story starts from broke, struggling mom that I couldn't make ends meet. And And look where we are now. We've grown into I'm I'm just so proud of of the foundation that I have for the babies. You know, that it it took all of that. But I'm I'm in such a good place. I can't I'm blessed. I feel blessed. I love that for you. I know. And what can you tell us before we go since we are out of time? Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the school supplies um, project that you're working yes. on and if, if there's a way for our listeners or for us to help? Yes. So it's called the GRC Foundation, grcfoundation.org. Uh, you can link, find it on my uh, Instagram. And so what we're doing is initially this started with our school. Our school is a private school that's in bad condition. Um, when I enrolled my kids, I quickly realized, you know, I toured a lot of schools but this was the best looking one. And I ended up landing a teaching job because they didn't have enough teachers. They were not staffed properly. So I volunteered as a teacher. And then I started seeing things around the school that needed help. They, they didn't have enough materials. I mean, so it began from there that this school needed some TLC. So what we're doing now, oh, I started an Amazon wishlist. Somebody on TikTok was like, you should make an Amazon wishlist. I was like, all right, I'll make an Amazon wishlist. Bro, I have been receiving packages daily since. And I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) What can we do with this? How far can we get with this? So what we're going to start doing is going into the public schools of surrounding little towns. And we're actually going to hit several areas of Mexico. Right now we're on the West Coast, but we're going to hit other tiny towns across everywhere and we're going to link up with the public schools and we're going to help them with supplies whether it's for the students or the teachers Um, it's in the very early stages of it and it's not just school supplies so what our foundation will also do is we're off we want to offer support to families who are 
kind of like mine, binational, whether they've relocated, you know, on their own because of, of a deported family member or they're deported and they're displaced. Um, so eventually our foundation will employ um, some of these people. We will also partner with, there's U.S. companies that have reached out to me on TikTok that want to offer employment. So I'm tying it into our organization. We're going to help with um, housing arrangements, employment resources, legal connections for parents who, like me, were, you know, in a situation where their kids are across the border and they need help with, uh, re- you know, bringing their kids over custody. So all the components of my story are in this foundation. Um, I want to help families like ours that struggled with deportation, employment, housing, schools. Um, we're just making a bridge. We're bridging the resources from the U.S. to here. For the kids, there's a lot of kids here that are U.S. citizens, that are local Mexicans, but they need a lot of support. There's a lot of family crisis here. Um, right. I have a lot of students that have parents that live in the U.S. because that's the only way they can afford to get by. You know, may, if I can get enough sponsors from U.S. companies that want to employ uh, maybe eight, nine dollars an hour, you know, I'm, I'm linking up families with those employers so that we can get them, you know, to sustain themselves, to be able to bring their families over and live a comfortable life. So that is the vision that I have for this foundation. You can find it on my Instagram. Um, okay. We have an Amazon wish list. Uh, we are looking for U.S. sponsors that may want to offer employment, um, monetary donations, um, anything. I mean, like I said, we're in the beginning stages of it, just forming it. But I have um, the amount of support that I have on TikTok has been amazing that I, I feel the need to do something with it. You yeah, know, yeah. I can't keep it just for me and exactly, my kids. At yeah, exactly. It has to go somewhere. That. I'm telling you, I'm right. receiving packages daily, eight to nine Amazon packages every day of the school supplies. Yeah. And you know, there's so many people that reach out to me and they're like, I want to help. I just, I don't know how to help. So this is how, this is how, you know, we're contributing our little piece of our story and sharing these stories along the way of the families that we're encountering, um, that we're relocating, that we're reuniting. Um, I have uh, obviously a personal passion for it because of my experience with it. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's where we're going with that. So if you want to help check out the website, it's linked in my bio in my Instagram and TikTok. We'll definitely share it. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for coming on baby mama. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you guys, I've been watching you guys. Since I was 18 and pregnant, <laughs> okay, I was, I was 17 and pregnant. And I remember when the first season came out. So Kayla, I feel like I know you because I watched all the episodes. You know? this is, I feel like I'm just talking to my long lost friend right now. Yeah, I know. I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, maybe I should tell me we need to go to Mexico. When we <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. You guys need to hit my that. It's a night. I mean, you won't be disappointed and it's, it's fairly cheap. Like, Compared to other big like Cancun or Cabos, PV has definitely been the most affordable in my opinion, which is why we live here instead of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love yeah. that everything is starting to look up for you, and we're going to yeah. share your story. We'll post it. We'll tag you, and um, thank you. you will be the first one to hear the episode. So, yes, thank, thank you. I'm excited. Thank, thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.